1: And welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. I am your host, Martha Reddick. And this week, we are going to be talking about bullying and how to help the kids that you nanny who are experiencing or might be experiencing bullying. And for that, I have brought on a dear friend of mine Catherine Siegel. Hello, Catherine.
0: Hello, Martha. How are you doing? I'm doing
1: very well. Thank you. Um, Now, Catherine is not currently a nanny, though she has babysat in the past. Um, But she is working on a show, a play here in Chicago that deals with this. And so she's been doing a lot of research. And you guys have paired up with an anti-suicide
0: uh, we are actually pairing up with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, yes, uh, to uh, to talk about you know bullying and and in particular preteen suicide, which is something we as a society don't address very often, um, right? And is actually more prevalent, unfortunately, than people uh, I think want to believe. Um, and this play deals directly with bullying and the consequences of that, including. The potential for for kids who are frequently bullied to commit suicide. So right, and what is the play bit. called? Uh, the play is Gideon's Knot by uh-huh. Jana Adams. Uh, it's a really great play. It's actually uh, for a theater piece, um, remarkably short in terms of page count. It's only forty six pages, and that oh, comes wow. to about seventy minutes. Um, but it's very intense, um, and it takes it all takes place during a real time parent teacher conference about. The bullying that this child, Gideon, Mm -hmm. um, has been suffering, and how that's affecting his life, and how it's affecting his mother's perception of who he is, and his teacher's perception of who he is. Um, Wow, yeah. Yeah. And it really speaks to that idea that bullying is complicated. Right. And that, depending on your perspective, it's really hard to know what's actually happening in a child's life, in a child's head.
1: Yes. Um.
0: With regards to how they're being treated by their their peers or or sometimes adults, you know. Yes. And and how do you how do you address that and who's responsible for addressing that? Yes. Um. Is really some of the bigger themes that the play is really hitting on there. So.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And as nannies, we have this special place in a kid's lives because Mm -hmm. we're not their parents. And so oftentimes kids will open up to us about things that they won't necessarily tell their parents, um, which is, is a gift in a lot of ways. And, and actually all the ways I can't think of how that's a bad thing. And, um, and often we're the ones picking them up right after school. So it's, a it's not our complete responsibility, but it is something that we have this special window into how do they act when we pick them up after school? How uh, are they interacting with peers? Like as we are waiting to pick them up, can yeah. we see them interacting and, and things like that, that um, that a parent may not ever get to see. Yeah,
0: um, for sure. And and then it's interesting just going back into a little bit of my my pre Theater directing background is I was a nanny and yeah. babysitter all through my teenage years in my early twenties, and um, I started my professional career uh, working in in theater education with preteens and teenagers, um, wow, and I yeah. continue to do a lot of that stuff. and And it's interesting because you're in this very unique position when you're a nanny or when you're a babysitter or when you are an instructor to these teens where you have the opportunity, they view you a lot of times, at least in my experience, as kind of a cool older sister figure mm-hmm. or an aunt. There's this idea that you have enough authority to affect change in their life, but that you, because you are not their parent, there's a sense of judgment that tends to be pushed to the side. They aren't as worried that you're gonna be disappointed in them or that you're gonna think badly of them. Because of something, especially things that are out of their control.
1: Yes, exactly. And so
0: I know, especially because most of the education I do is in theater arts. And there is, it's, it's a stereotype, but unfortunately it's an <laughs> accurate one. Yeah. That oh, there's a lot of bullying of children who are interested in theater for many different reasons. Right. Sometimes you're that first line. You're the first person to either notice the change in their behavior that, you know, the bullying has resulted from or you're sometimes the first person that they even bring it up with. Right. And
1: also I feel, and this is true of nannies as well as artistic teachers, that a lot of times you're one of the only people that gets to see their true selves Mm -hmm. that they take their mask off for. And that's such a special thing that you then can also spot it when when that mask goes back up, or or why they feel like they need that mask, um, and so that is. You know, just as nannies, we're so privileged to to get these glimpses in to kids lives that even their parents sometimes don't get to see. So recognizing that, I think, is is a really important step in helping uh, spot and then prevent bullying from like onto your your nanny kid, like your nanny kid being bullied, but mm-hmm. also, and I, we are going to talk about this a little later, but also if your nanny kid is the one perhaps doing the bullying.
0: Because yeah. that's also very complicated in terms of children are, are and, and this is very much talked about as part of the play, is that children are way more complicated mm-hmm. than we sometimes want to believe. We all are raised with, and it's not our fault, we're not being closed-minded, but we're all raised with, this perception of childhood innocence, right? This very right. Victorian notion that children aren't capable of certain thoughts or that if they are capable of certain thoughts, it's, it's an automatic indicator that there is something wrong. Right. And it's not to say that there might not be and that you shouldn't be concerned, but there's a big point made in the play, and I think it's one of the most interesting things that, that we discuss in Gideon's Not is this idea that you can't write off that behavior, that children can't be treated with, you know, broad strokes. Right. um, In that you can't look at a behavior and necessarily go, ah, I know exactly what that means. You have to communicate with them. And I think one of the great things that nannies get to do, um, honestly, is you get to have that level of communication with them where you there's that trust. Mm -hmm. Again, there's that trust, that relationship you've built with them. And this idea that because of that, if a child has a behavior, you know, for good or for bad, you don't... You're going to be much more aware of who that child is as an individual Mm -hmm. and therefore much less likely to just write that behavior off. Right. Um, Because what... Maybe someone who views them with broad strokes, um, like, you know, maybe the school system or someone who's dealing with a larger group of children, therefore tends to generalize more yeah i mean
1: even in the school system it's like classrooms are packed yeah you know it's like 30 kids and like you could have a really really good teacher who can totally miss something because to survive they do have to paint with those broad strokes yeah
0: And, and even like in my experience like working with arts programs arts programs can range from Five kids in a room mm-hmm. to 85 kids in a room. Right. Um, and when you're in those those bigger environments where you're trying to command a lot of students and you're trying to keep them all busy, you do tend to generalize. And it's it's unfortunate, but it's a reality. So when you have a smaller group, you have a more personal relationship with a kid, you're able to talk to them one-on-one about something that they do that you might be like, I don't know if this is You know, I because it's hard to tell with kids, especially. Right. Is it that there's something going on that needs further investigation? That needs um, that they need support and help with, or is it possibly the formings of a more adult opinion than you might expect of them? Or like a lot of times, I know once again working with arts kids, and one of the things that and we and once again it's direct, like it's addressed directly in this play. Mm -hmm. Is the idea that that kids. Creative imaginations can be a lot darker Mm -hmm. than we necessarily want to assume they are. That feels comfortable for us. Exactly. You read something um, that a kid has written and you're like, this is this is dark. Mm -hmm. And there's that instant like thing because we want to protect them and we want to take care of them that goes, you know, is this a cry for help? Is someone hurting them? Right. But to assume that when you wouldn't necessarily assume that of an adult who writes something dark, you would assume you would assume they were trying to express something right. darker, right? Or that their imagination just happens to bend that way. Um, I always joke with people, I'm like, I, I always wonder what Tim Burton's parents must have thought of him as <laughs> yeah. a kid. Because he, he has like a lot of, he started in his artistic form very early. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really early work um, of his. That I imagine if I had been his parents or his nanny, I might be like, you're 12. (laughs) This seems a little on the dark side talking about, you know reanimation of of lost pets and, you know, idolizing Vincent Price. But in (laughs) in his case especially, I think there's, like, proof in in that pudding of, like, this is artistic expression. Yeah. And the only way to tell the difference between those things is to really have a personal relationship with a kid.
1: And meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. And we've talked about it on several episodes so far. But just not – not putting your kid in a box, your nanny kid in a box for anything. So if they're, you know, follow their interest and and expand their horizons. Like don't let them not do something because they're scared. But if they don't want to do something, be curious about it. Find out mm-hmm. why they don't want to do it. And if they're really into Godzilla or you know something like that yeah. then then find out more about it um, th- rather than just being like oh that's that's too old for you like yeah. you can't possibly be interested in that but you know all those kind of more dark scary things right um, yeah are are and shutting it down is
0: the worst thing you can do absolutely because then you're teaching them that there's something to be ashamed of mm-hmm. in that behavior. Um, and I'm always, and, and once again, I work a lot with preteens and teens who are learning for the first time how to express themselves creatively and artistically. And sometimes that means they come from a family where that was encouraged, but a lot of times it means they're coming from a place where that wasn't encouraged. Right. And it's interesting how much you learn about someone just by saying to them, you know, and this includes children, once again, viewing children as kind of the same way you would treat an adult, which is asking them why they're interested in this thing. Right. Um, And not broad stroking their behavior, because that's one of those positions where when you start broad stroking, especially when you're dealing with something that you perceive to be beyond their years, as it relates to bullying, you end up with this situation of they feel like they can't talk about it yeah right even if it was if what they're expressing is the fact that they're being bullied you you may never know if you treat it as broad strokes like oh don't do that that's not a good behavior like you have to engage with them like you were saying and Mm -hmm. you really talk to them about stuff because especially because kids live in metaphor way Mm -hmm. more than we do um when a child is having a problem there is that tendency to to find a metaphorical way to express it. Right. Right. You know, suddenly all suddenly Godzilla starts destroying more towns than he usually and usually he's a positive force in, in this child's yeah. imagination, for an example. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, their writing does become darker. Right. And the ability to have a conversation about that. Yeah. And to not just go, ooh, no, that's icky. Right. Helps you discover that stuff.
1: Yeah. And if this is something that you are um, facing in your nanny family, I do suggest listening to the Keeping Kids Safe episode with Emma uh, Silver Alfred. Uh, She talks about, and that one is about helping spot abuse, Mm -hmm. um, which she talks about signs. And a lot of those signs are sudden changes, which is completely applicable here as well, is that if you notice sudden changes, be curious about them, um, and investigate more because bullying is very serious, but in that seriousness, we need to lean into it instead of backing away from it. Um, and so that is something that I highly recommend listening to that episode because some of those things are applicable here. And then, um, I also wanted to quickly just go over a few statistics about bullying. Um, I'm getting these from stopbullying.gov and these are mostly uh, from 2007, so a while ago, but in one large study. About 49% of children in grades 4 through 12 reported being bullied by other students at least once during the past month, whereas uh, 30.8 reported bullying other uh, at other t- durations of time than that. And it does actually have a little bit of hope in that, um, that the amount of bullying that uh, is going down. The reported amount of bullying yeah. is going up, but they they suspect, and they they don't have a study to prove this, but mm-hmm. they suspect that the actual amount of bullying is going down because people are talking about
0: it more. Absolutely, and and it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we talk about in this show as well is that bullying is much more complicated than once once again, not painting things with broad strokes. It's right. more complicated. Than we tend to believe where frequently you have instances where one child feels they're being bullied by the other. And then you talk to the other child and they feel that that child is bullying them. One yes. of the big questions of this play is, is Gideon a bully or is he being bullied? Mm-hmm. And what effect does that have on how he's perceived um, with, among his classmates and how he perceives himself? Right. And a big part of that is, is that victimized feeling is intensified. Right. You know, as adults, we kind of learn to, to let it go and be like, well, someone's having a bad day. And right. that's not my fault. That's not on me. Whereas with children, it, it is much more centralized. And it's more, and I mean this in a positive way, not a negative way, it is more self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, everything escalates mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the best ways I've ever seen um, an educator... In my experience, deal with bullying was literally having the two kids talk to each other. Yeah. It's so ridiculously simple, but this proceed like this idea that they both had, and it's not that they weren't both basically bullying each other, but when they had to sit down and actually talk about it and be like, Well, why do you treat so and so this way? And why why is that your thought process? Those kids got the opportunity to kind of talk that out and it actually the bullying stopped. Yeah. That's not always a solution you can go with, obviously, especially if you're, you know, if you're a nanny, because your kid is, is your responsibility. But there is this thing of recognizing that bullying is complicated, especially because I think as nannies, you do have a slightly more objective view of your child's life. Yes. Whereas a parent is instantly going to react emotionally and be like my Mm -hmm. child's being bullied and that's a horrible thing. And it is, it is a horrible thing. Yes. But Parents also tend to have a hard time seeing, recognizing that the child doing the bullying is also a child. Right. And there might be other things going on there. Yeah, and it can
1: go in a couple of different directions, at least this is my understanding, of parents can get on that bandwagon of like, we are stopping this and like I'm stepping in on my child's behalf and like the other kid is a terrible child. Mm -hmm. So that's one direction that it can go in that, um, like you said, recognizing that it's complicated and that the other child is a human and a child as well is important. It can also go in the direction of a parent completely ignoring it. Um, where you need to, as a nanny, be more of an advocate for the child of, you know, that kind of like man up mentality of Mm -hmm. like, well, then I would just punch him in the face and walk away. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's not a solution either. Um, or like you're not being bullied like that. They're just teasing you.
0: And that's, and that's such a difficult situation. Um, having grown up, uh, my I myself was bullied as a as a child, mm-hmm. and I remember um you know, you have parents and they and they love their kids and support them. they want them to be strong and to not let these things get to them. but that idea that sometimes parents do write it off as you need to man up right. or you know, just ignore it and they'll stop doing it, and you're like, that's not realistic though, right? because these are children and first thing, ignoring it and they'll stop doing it is very rarely actually a solution for these kids because they, it's not like they can walk away. We, we forget as adults that like, if there's someone in our life as adults that doesn't treat us well, mm-hmm. we have that power to walk away. And sometimes it's very difficult if it's a work scenario, sometimes it means leaving your job, but you are empowered in that way to have that kind of control. Whereas kids, if this is a classroom situation, they don't have anywhere else to go, right? They have to stay in the room with that. So Sometimes that mentality of ignore it and it'll go away or man up um, either results in escalation Mm -hmm. or just results in the child feeling like they have no one they can turn to. And and I think you're absolutely right. Like you become then at that point as a nanny, you become their advocate sometimes to their own parents. And that's difficult,
1: which I think that, and we've talked a lot about communication with parents and Mm. their ways to, to communicate what you think is going on that doesn't criticize the parents and the parenting of, of saying, you know, I, I was talking with Susie the other day and, uh, gosh, that Sally in her class really is, is bothering her. And, Mm -hmm. and she, she's brought it up with me several times. What do you guys think is a good solution Mm -hmm. for that? And just phrasing it that way of, um, that allows the conversation to then open up with the parents and it's, it's not criticizing them, but it's also you're throwing your, uh, hat in the ring of yeah. like, this is actually a problem. And when another adult recognizes it as a problem, that can be mm-hmm. such a big help. And that's actually something that I saw come up over and over again, as I was researching for today, that bystanders, doing something about bullying Mm -hmm. is the best solution so as soon as at least one other person speaks up Mm -hmm. then that the bully crumbles most of the time yeah because
0: Um, we we recognize we're all raised with the idea that you don't want to be a bully right you know we're all raised with the idea that being a bully is a bad thing that we don't As a society, we've all, whether or not we always practice it, um, we've all kind of come to the agreement that bullying is not to be tolerated. The problem is, is when you're inside that very dramatic feedback circle Mm -hmm. with bullying, Mm -hmm. it's you and one other person. I'm speaking from the child's point now, but it's you and one other person. And so all those emotions are intensified. And Mm -hmm. there's nobody who, once again, that objective outsider who's like, what you're doing is bullying. Right. <laughs> Please stop that. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge thing. And once again, going back into that thing of how the difference between you as a nanny and your interaction with a child versus a teacher. Right. Because if a teacher is managing 35 kids, you know, that's a difficult situation mm-hmm. in which that for them to stop and point out that behavior to a student, whereas – You as a nanny, if you if you come across an instance where your child is being bullied, you know sometimes if you just point it out to the bully, and that's a weird day when that happens. By the way, it definitely is. But sometimes if you point out to the bully, you don't have to bully them. You don't have to be mean to them. But sometimes (laughs) just pointing it out, like that social stigma in them goes. Ooh, I'm gonna stop doing that now. Right,
1: or just saying like to you know if you see something at, at. Pickup time, mm-hmm. saying like those aren't very kind words to the other kid, and then grabbing your kid's hand and walking away, mm-hmm. that can make a huge difference. And then some other, some like a list that I found that was, um, I this is actually a combination of a bunch of lists I found that I kind of made in my own brain, of things that you as a nanny can do to help spot if your kid is being bullied. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. kids will not report it, even to a nanny. And it's more likely that they will report it to a nanny than it is to a parent or a teacher. Absolutely. Um, but is... Always ask questions when you pick them up. And that question doesn't have to be, how was your day? Because that's so easy to be like, it was fine and move on. Um, I often will ask nanny kids, who'd you play with today? Did you read a book today? Uh, What'd you have for lunch? Who'd Mm -hmm. you sit with? Things like that. Because those are more specific bids for an invitation into their day Mm -hmm. than just how was your day? Because then it's so easy for them to move on.
0: The wonderful thing that like, This just slightly more specific question gives you so much more information and feedback about your kid and what's going on in their life.
1: For sure. And then once they are are in the daily practice of telling you about their day in more detail and they try that out and they get support every time, then then when something bad happens, they're more likely to tell you because you've worked on that trust every day Mm -hmm. when you pick them up. And they know that it's part of the routine to to open up to you about stuff. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and it's interesting because I think it's something that um, we don't... It's such a basic thing. And we don't always think about it when we're dealing with children. Like, mm-hmm. the value of that constant communication. Uh, one of the things in Gideon's Not that's made very clear is that neither of these authority figures are communicating with Gideon right. quite that well. The mom is probably asking questions like how was your day and right. getting that oh it was fine and then not getting more information the teacher is very much in like in her teacher mode so the questions are very professional and therefore by their nature very distant yeah and so it's once again that thing of there's this he's in this place where he feels alienated right right And he feels like he doesn't have anyone who he can really bring these issues to and and talk to them honestly. Mm -hmm. And and once again, that thing of not painting kids with broad stroke brushes and also the value of knowing how to communicate with them Mm -hmm. is huge, especially when dealing with a situation where, especially dealing with a situation like we have in this play where it's complicated. Right, Is Gideon the bully or is these other children who are mentioned throughout the play bullying him? Like what, how do you figure that out? And the only real answer that that we get is you should talk to the child yes, Um, and how important that is. And and what what was the result when you don't, when you try to kind of put them in a bubble and be like, they're having this problem, but I'm going to deal with it. Right. You know? Yeah. Because there's a lot about bullying that also in that sense that we want children to not let it get to them or man up, whatever, that, that kind of more, that older school advice as it were. Mm Mm-hmm. It has its roots in some very positive thinking in an attempt to make them learn how to deal with their bone problems. Right. So like the counter opposite end of that is the end where because they're being bullied or because there's signs of bullying, someone takes it upon themselves to fix it for them. Right. And then they become separated from the situation. Mm -hmm. And that neither of those is really good. Yeah. (laughs) Ignoring it doesn't work, but neither does stepping on their autonomy Essentially and right. fixing it for them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And something that um I do and I know at least the other nannies that uh I've worked with that we've done play dates and stuff mm-hmm. do frequently is letting kids practice working out their own situations. Um the conflict resolution episode I I think I've mentioned it like the past six because it's it's one of my favorite episodes, and I mm-hmm. use it all the time of teaching kids how to resolve conflict and not be afraid of conflict. Like conflict lets you know where your problems are. Yeah. um and and phrasing it that way, and giving them the chance to practice with, uh, resolving their own conflicts, and for a three-year-old, that's going to look very different than a sixth grader. Oh, for sure. But if you let them practice at the age of three, then they're not scared of conflict and completely shut down when it happens. They're like, "Oh, I know what to do. I'm going to ask how they're feeling and yeah, work through it
0: for sure." And and you provide them with autonomy, right? You provide mm-hmm. them with things they're going to need as an adult.
1: And kids are so resilient. They are like they are so resilient i see it every day and it it's a nice reminder for me too um of of every human is more resilient than we often give ourselves credit for but kids are so resilient and they're they're constantly in a world of change where they have very little say um and so it it is no wonder that sometimes kids bully and it's often from a place of trying to gain control in a world where they feel like they don't have control.
0: Absolutely. And I think one of the I think one of the really important things about like you were saying, teaching them how to have these confrontations and not be scared of that is this idea that if if they learn how to have these confrontations because kids are so resilient and so adaptable, Chances are the situation will improve. right? And I think we as adults with, uh, cause we are all as adults, we're all a little bit more jaded and a little bit more negative mindset. And what we tend to look at is like, well, maybe I won't do anything because if I don't confront the issue, it can't get worse. <laughs> right. right. And the, the funny thing is, is we as adults worry about situations getting worse when they're confronted. Whereas kids proof time and time again, bears out that if the situation is addressed it gets better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to be best friends forever. Right. But it does tend, it improves it. It's like you were saying, just having someone there to say, those weren't very nice words you used, is a way of confronting it in a small way that helps to break that tension. And right. sometimes results in, you know, kids who are like, those two are never going to get along because so-and-so bullies so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But once the issue is out in the open and there's talk about why are you treating them that way, you know. Sometimes the answer is just as simple as they are trying to exert control or mm-hmm. they saw this behavior from somebody else and kind of, since they are kids and they're sponges and they don't, their, their ethical compass is not as calibrated as ours. And they they're trying know. on
1: different out, you know, yeah, personas, personas and, and masks for themselves. Yeah. So if, if that one feels like it gives them control, however false that sense might be, mm-hmm. it it probably feels good for a little while to be like, Oh, I made that other kid really scared. Yeah. Um, we
0: all want to feel like we have the, I mean, this is, this is going to sound horrible. We have a natural tendency to want to feel like we have the most control. Yes, in a space. Yes. Um, this is something we, you know, we grow up with, we crave that feeling of, of being the smartest in the room or mm-hmm. the most qualified or the, the most talented or the prettiest. We all have different ways of, kind of regulating what gives us control. Mm-hmm. Those are learned behaviors, but we seek it as adults. It's that thing of why do we not expect that same behavior from children? Right. It just tends to manifest a bit more dramatically in ways that can have much longer lasting unfortunately much longer lasting and dramatic results
1: mm-hmm. you know? for sure. Um, some other things that you can do ahead of, like, these are the things that you should probably consider adding to your nanny practices in general anyway, but, um, the boundaries episode where we talk about that, teaching kids that it is okay to say no is key in being able to uh, stand up to a bully in a positive way of saying it's not okay for you to talk to me like that and then and then walking away because you're completely right that ignoring it completely though that is, a method, perhaps, <laughs> um, and and it is suggested on some of the on some of the websites um, to to tell the child to just ignore it and tell a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the child becomes less of a target if they can stand in in their own shoes and say mm-hmm. this is not okay and then walk away and tell a teacher. Yeah, for sure. Um then that bully is like, "Oh, I can't bully them. They're they're not susceptible to my taunts and jabs and 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 really mean terrible words." Um <laughs> yes. or physical bullying, which is also terrible. Um mm-hmm. and so so teaching the kids that you work with, because often we, we are so young. Um, we work with kids that are so young that it's, it's not necessarily that we are dealing with bullying or bullies on a day-to-day basis, but we are instilling practices in, in the kids that we nanny that will serve them when they are in, you know, six to 12th grade, which are the primary years. Um, right. So it's getting younger and younger, but
0: well, the reason, and there's a reason it's getting younger and younger, right. Um, right. there's this idea that, you know, it's that, 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 that's, you know, that six to 12, you know, kind of bullying sweet spot, shall we call it, um, <laughs> is because that's when the kids are becoming, they are becoming more autonomous, right? right? They are more individualized in themselves. And now suddenly these behaviors that they've been learning, because nobody addressed them because nobody corrected them are starting to really manifest and are really starting to show them that this is how they get power. And it's like you were saying, you never, you never want to encourage a child who's being bullied to react physically. Right. You never want to encourage them, that the idea, that man up mentality yeah. of like, well, just punch him back. That's not the answer. Never, that is never ever, the answer. <laughs> However, using your words and saying things like, you can't say that to me right I'm walking away is is probably the strongest response they can give really because every bully is looking for that reaction. Mm-hmm. They're looking. That's how they get their sense of control, right? They, they wouldn't, bu- they don't bully if they don't feel like it gives them power over someone else. And the only way right. they know that is because we're all human beings and we're all existing in a feedback loop is if they get the response that they that they interpret as like, ah, this person now respects me. This right. person now um, I have control over them to some degree. Yeah. And when they stand up with their words like that, even, even to physical bullying mm-hmm. of you can't do that and right. then walk away, even... and this is horrible. They will you know, physical bullying is obviously there's an aspect of physical hurt Mm -hmm. that complicates it even further. But even in that moment, you're short circuiting that bully's feedback loop, right? They're used to, you know, they punch someone, that person cowers and cries. They feel like they have control over that person. If that person gives, if instead you know, because of conflict resolution. And they should absolutely tell an adult, obviously, right. afterwards. Yes. That is very important also as well. But if they instead, because they've been brought up in an environment where they talk about conflict resolution and they talk about what's proactive engagement with a bully as opposed to, you know, negative, right? then they they break that feedback loop. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> nothing can be more just discon- I, I having not been a bully myself, I'm not sure what is disconcerting to a bully 100%, <laughs> but what I will say is I imagine that nothing can be more disconcerting to a bully than throwing that punch, watching someone get hurt, having that person look at them and go, you know, you shouldn't treat people like this and right. walking away. Right. Because that's not what they expect. So that's one of those things we're teaching children early to cut that feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Is really really powerful. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's amazing. I think that's the best advice I've actually ever <laughs> heard on that issue. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd known that. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's
1: it's so it's such a hard thing. Um, something that uh, I have yet to to try with a child, but I saw um in my research is also like. Almost doing role-playing with the kids sometimes can be helpful. So if they are dealing with a bully, to have your nanny kid play that bully to you so that then they can empathize and like see where they're coming from and then you talking to that bully quote-unquote through your nanny kid Mm -hmm. in a positive way of setting very clear boundaries is is really helpful so and that's you know that's for a little bit more cut and dry. Like this is the person bullying me. Yeah. (laughs) This is, uh, what I can say to them versus, you know, a lot of times bullying is so complicated. Like we've been talking about that. It's hard. It's not necessarily one person. It's, um, you know, a group of people, or it's just that a lot of what people are saying are unkind words and that wears on you
0: empathy is one of those things where if you can teach a child empathy and if you can teach them empathy, especially empathy for a bully Mm -hmm. who's bullying them, it makes them a much smarter social thinker, right? Right. People with high emotional intelligence, high EQ um, function better as adults. Mm -hmm. We have these, we've tons of studies now, especially now that EQ is officially a thing that we're supposed to be promoting. (laughs) Thank goodness. Thank goodness. You (laughs) know, you, you learn that this is such a valuable thing to know how, To know how to deal with bullies is an early example. You're literally setting them up for a lifetime of knowing how to deal with people in general. Right. Right. Because this is an extreme case. But if you can put them in a position where they empathize with their bullies, you know, position, but understand that that's not about them, that that is about what that person is going through. And that's what empathy really is at the end of the day. It's the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes so that you don't judge them out of hand. Right. And that is so valuable for kids to learn and to learn early because it's something that will affect their interactions with everyone Mm -hmm. their whole lives. And I think that – and in that way, you take bullying and you turn it from a negative, horrible, you know – traumatizing sometimes experience into something that they can genuinely learn from. Right, right. right. If they can look at the bully's behavior and understand that 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 person is a unique individual with their own problems Mm -hmm. that aren't about that child. Right, and that's a key
1: step too that I think sometimes can go too far the other way of Mm -hmm. then Uh, the child being bullied taking on the problems of the... And that's a a later in life, um, more high school thing. But especially females um, Mm -hmm. or those who identify as female, um, for those for the feminine aspect in us, this idea of like, Oh, well then let me help them. And there's also, it's important to say like you can recognize that another person is hurting in their own specific way and also say, it's not okay though for you to hurt me or to, to voluntarily or involuntarily hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also don't need to take on your problems.
0: Absolutely. And that, and that's a big part of it. And that's why, um, it, it's so important like to to start teaching children se- essentially emotional intelligence and empathy yeah. early on, right? Cuz so many of us learn it when we're in high school, which is the worst time to start acknowledging emotional <laughs> intelligence because you do take on other people's problems. Yeah. You know, you if you are particularly emotionally, you know, aware, you might be overly willing to let someone treat you unforeseen badly um, mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, they're having a rough time. Right. Whereas if you start from a young age, you have that ability to instill in them an objectiveness about it, right? right. They learn how to deal with it better. Um, they also have more time to learn how to deal with it better, yeah. quite frankly. And
1: it becomes more uh, of a, a given or a, mm-hmm. a habit for them. Um, they can switch into autopilot, um, with kind choices instead of switching into autopilot of panic and we never make good choices from a place of panic oh of
0: course, yeah of course not and, and I think it's I think it's a great phrasing that you just use kind choices because it is you make kind choices towards the person mm-hmm. bullying you but you don't make victimizing choices right and that's the difference or right? martyring choices. martyring choices which is very dangerous behavior and mm-hmm. actually for a lot of kids who are bullied is a legitimate problem in right. that they tend you know we tend to and once again this is a little stereotypy this is exactly what i said don't <laughs> do broad brushing but um we the children who are bullied do tend to be more emotionally sensitive children they have a tendency to feel like it's their fault that they're yes. being bullied right it's that creation of this victim mentality and if you can teach children how to once have empathy in a correct and positive way then they learn to before they blame themselves for bullying think about what's is that what's going on with that other person that they're doing that right there is that thing of of teaching children how to interact socially in ways that are positive for them mm-hmm. but also keep their core intact, right? Yes. They, they are they are an autonomous individual um, who are wonderful and varied and unique, and because of that, they don't deserve. I put that in air quotes because that's <laughs> the bad word. Um, to be bullied, they right. don't. There's nothing about them that because they're whatever quality they're being bullied about, right? Because bullies tend to always. Focus in on one yeah. thing, <laughs> you know, it, not because because of their and gender. And they're so ident- good at spotting the oh, one they thing are, that bother you They're the most. so good at, like, finding that one thing where you're like, ah, that's the thing I didn't <laughs> like about oh. myself or the thing I was insecure about about myself. But no matter what the thing is, from all the way from, you know, issues of gender identity to, you know, and sexuality to the scale of I really like Animaniacs as a cartoon right. and you don't, like – recognizing that you are allowed to have all of those thoughts. You are a complicated human being Mm -hmm. and those are all positive things about you. Mm They're qualities of you that someone does not get to pull out and make negative just because they are having a bad day. Right. That's important. thing. Like in that, once again, that objective empathy essentially.
1: Yeah. And, and helping kids establish those boundaries within, themselves and then within their social groups of, Mm -hmm. of saying that it's okay if you guys don't agree on, a a book, um, Mm -hmm. that you like, you know, that you don't like the same group, the same book or TV show or anything like that. Um, one of the coolest things I've seen a mom that I babysat briefly for do is that she has book club for her, uh, I think she was in second grade when they started this book club and in that book club, they talk and they discuss the book and the, the mom makes it very clear that it's okay if you don't like the book Mm -hmm. and just little things like that throughout the day of, Mm -hmm. of allowing space for a no yeah. from your nanny kids is so important and it really sets them up for a lifetime of success um yeah. as long as their no is coming from a kind place and doesn't uh hurt another person absolutely let yeah. them stand up to you they practice with people they love mm-hmm also modeling that behavior for them of recognizing when you're wrong and owning up yes. to your own things. Or if you get in a conflict in front of them, uh, someone gets your order wrong at yeah. a coffee shop that you went to with the kids, going up and saying like, hey, this is, I, I asked for a hot chocolate with peppermint and this doesn't have any peppermint in it. Mm-hmm. Modeling those behaviors of, of minor conflicts but handled with kindness and dignity mm-hmm. is the most probably important thing that you can do for your nanny kids is showing them good examples.
0: Absolutely. It's so funny cuz you guys you all cannot see this but I've been nodding emphatically <laughs> through this whole thing. Um it's really like it's really interesting and really strong especially going back to that mother who had like a book club for her kids because as we've been saying through most of this, bullying is so much more complicated than people want to acknowledge it. And and the funny thing is that the first step to like finding (laughs) positive ways to deal with bullying is acknowledging that it's more complicated than that. And the funny thing is, is so many instances of bullying for kids come out of there. yes, obviously there's big things, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it comes out of little things. A lot of it comes out of, disagreement over a book or a movie or my my dad stronger than your dad these things <laughs> that are relatively small and what happens is is because once again children are learning how to think they're learning how to process the world so much their tendency towards black and white distinctions as opposed to you can have an opinion and it can differ from me and we can still both be good people is is much stronger. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, is it's such a, it's such a silly little thing, but we do see it reflected in adults once again, in our society, which is this idea that I disagree with you over, you know, an opinion about a book Mm -hmm. and somehow that escalates into me being a bad person. Right. Right. And that's the thing with kids is it does tend to escalate in that way. I, I, in my head, I think of it as petty bullying as opposed to like bullying with a capital B, which is what, that's the thing we're always really scared of. But what's much more common is actually these petty bullyings, which Mm -hmm. is instead of them knowing, learning how to have a disagreement, Mm -hmm. I like this, I don't like this, but we're both still good people. Okay, let's go color becomes this thing of, I like this, I don't like this, and therefore one of us has now decided that the other is a lesser human being, right? you know, and yes. then, and then that bullying cycle starts and that
1: brings me to probably last point for uh, this this podcast. this might be one that we revisit um because it's such a huge mm-hmm. subject. but um is is teaching your nanny kids that other people don't get to apply labels to you. Yeah. Um, so I have been recently listening to Brene Brown, who is a shame and vulnerability, um, researcher and has, she did a wonderful Ted talk, but I've been listening to her books on CD because I'm real cool. Um, and she talks a lot. She tells a story about how her kid who was in, I think, fourth grade at the time, the the teacher of her child called home and told Brene, I now understand what you do. And Renee was like, oh, gosh, what does that mean? <laughs> what did my kid do? Oh, yeah. um, and the teacher said that her daughter Ellen had uh, been doing a craft with glitter and had gotten it kind of like all over her clothes and, and the area around her. And the teacher said, oh, my gosh, Ellen, you're such a mess. And Ellen turns to her and goes, I'm I'm messy right now, but I'm not a mess. I'm not a mess as a person. And That's like,
0: so lovely. I it's love so that. That's so
1: lovely. And and the teacher was like, so I now really understand what the culture of your home, um, and she's like, and it's such a wonderful one. And so, helping our kids, and I've been really trying to be conscious of this, mm-hmm. to not let other people label them to to say like, right now you are doing, you're making this choice, and this is how it's coming off. Mm-hmm. But to not make them a bad person because they spilt their peas. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, for sure. And and I obviously come from as as an artist and as a, as a theater artist, specifically communication is one of those things that we study almost obsessively. Um, and I'm a huge, I'm a big word dork, um, and a big grammar dork. Um, and I will own that. Uh, but you're putting that label on yourself. I'm putting that label on myself so I can label myself (laughs) that, but nobody else can. But there is this thing, especially in, in English, we have a very, our, our language structure this is going to be super cerebral for a minute. I love um, it. Our language structure is based on qualification as opposed to description. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite examples of how English kind of affects, how language affects how we feel about it ourselves is in English. Um, if let's say you put a glass on a table and you miss the edge and the glass falls and it breaks in English, we default to, I broke the glass In other languages, um, in particular, I'm thinking of Japanese off the top of my head, but there's several other languages where this is the case. Instead of saying, I broke the glass because it's an accident. You did not break that glass. You did not intentionally break that glass. The language actually translates more accurately into the glass broke itself.
1: Ah. And
0: it teaches you, you know, it's those subtle ways in which language and how we use language really does put labels on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, in, you know, the, in the body positive view culture, there's this new move towards, and I think it's really interesting towards not calling yourself fat, mm-hmm. right? Cause you aren't fat. You don't exist as an amorphous blob <laughs> of fat. If you, if you have a little extra weight on you, you have fat the same right. way that you have fingernails. You are not fingernails. Right. And huh. yet we, as a culture, never say to someone, you are fingernails, but we do feel comfortable saying you are fat. And it is that labeling of people. And it, it, once again, it oddly enough is a specific way Mm -hmm. of narrowing them down to something that is broad strokes. Right. Um, And for kids, especially, I think that's a really positive thing. Like not teaching them as a communications person, Mm -hmm. not teaching them to think of themselves as one word. Right. Right. You know, this thing of little girls who grow up, you know, with extra weight, we, you know, they learn to say, I am fat little boys who grow up and I'm going to pick purposely ne- societally considered negative examples. Um, little boys who don't have a growth spurt in their prepubescent years learn to say, I am short. Right. And view these as negative things when no, you are not that that is a quality of you. Right. And. And in doing so and in teaching kids, you know, that positive way to view their situation, to view life, to view things as being quality of the qualities of themselves, but not defining themselves.
1: For the labels, teaching them on something as small as you're a mess to say, no, I'm not, I'm messy right now, mm-hmm. will then help them when someone calls them a loser, Yeah, it will help them say, no, I'm not. I maybe made a bad choice. Or... I lost
0: this game of dodgeball that does right. not inherently make me a loser. And you shouldn't talk to me like that. Yes. That's that's important stuff for them to learn because once again, breaking that feedback loop, especially with someone like a bully who is expecting a certain response from you right, is so strong because if nothing else, it puts them on the back foot. Yeah. They then have to think about what they just said. Yep. Because you didn't. Because they
1: don't very often. Oh no! That's I, the other thing is they're not thinking through their language bullies, choices.
0: Bullies. Uh, it's funny um, when you're writing bullies um, in theater and film. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on several television shows that involved during my career that that involved bullies mm-hmm. um, as an assistant, and it was always so funny because almost every time we'd have an episode where like a bully or something was was in it was on the show, and this was. Different shows with different teams, but everybody always had the same concept, the same comment, which was, oh, this dialogue sounds so stereotypical. Right. Why, how why can't I think of an interesting, creative way to write a bully? And the answer was always at the end every single time this got brought up, and we would agonize for like a week over how to write this bully interestingly, or or anything like that. And the answer always ended up being the same, which is you can't write a bully interestingly, because bullies in and of themselves are not thoughtful. Right. They fall back on the easiest insult. They fall back on the first thing that comes to mind because what they're aiming for is not to be insightful. Right, They're aiming to hurt. And yeah. the things that tend to hurt are big generalization statements.
1: And yeah, I mean, the most important thing as a nanny is to be there for y- your kid, mm-hmm. um, and in whatever way that you can, um, and and getting help when you need it as a nanny talking to other nannies um is a really great way write me um i will i will do my best to help you if you're in a very specific situation that wasn't answered on this episode uh write chronicles of nania at gmail.com and i i will do my best to um at least put you in connection with people that can help you um if i can't myself And so as we get towards wrapping up, um, please, Katie, uh, plug Gideon's Knot. (laughs) Uh,
0: Everyone should come see Gideon's Knot. Um, You should not bring children to it. Um, it (laughs) It's not not that, but I think it's a really important play for especially people who work with children day to day to come in and see Um, it is a it's just it's a beautifully written work about how do you deal with children who are being bullied and how do you deal with children as individuals instead of treating them as broad as broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Um, The producing company is eclectic full contact theater
1: who I've worked with before and they're wonderful theater company (laughs) based in Chicago. So
0: based in Chicago, Illinois, Uh, the show will be opening on June 2nd at the Athenaeum theater in studio two. So
1: how can they get tickets? Uh, You can get tickets
0: uh, by visiting either the Athenaeum website or uh, our website um, at Eclectic, which is eclectic-theater, spelled with an R-E, .com Uh, then that will also lead you to the Eclectic Full Contact Theater webpage. You can learn about all of our upcoming shows, our past shows. Check it out at eclectic.com. Yeah, do come
1: see it because uh, as we talked about in the nanny self-care episode, it's important to take time to do stuff for yourself too. So Mm -hmm. um, this is a good way of of going and seeing a play that is about a very serious subject, but will get you thinking. So be sure to check that out. You said it opens June 2nd, which is right around the corner,
0: June 2nd, right around the corner. Um, and also know that this is a show that is purposely built to have you asking questions. And that's awesome. Uh, eclectic theater, um, Company members are very friendly people Mm -hmm. um, and we love to talk about our shows afterwards. So if you show up on certain nights, I will be there and I'll be happy (laughs) to talk to you about all the interesting themes and plays in the show. Um, But if I'm not, there are other company members there and they're all, we've all talked about this play extensively. It's one of those, it's one of those pieces that especially for this company has been like near and dear to our hearts for a long time. And so we're happy to talk to people. So come out, you know, that self-care thing, come on out, enjoy the show. You know, get to. It's have, only 70 have, minutes. It's only 70 minutes. It's a, it's a tight show. Um, <laughs> uh, watch two actresses be absolutely amazing. Yes. And they, like, n- they never leave the stage. So they are on for the entire time and their energy is just insane. Um, you'll see an amazing thing that'll actually get you thinking about a lot of really interesting things about bullying and about childcare and about how we treat children and view children in our society. And then if you want to talk about it for half an hour afterwards, <laughs> I guarantee you that there are eclectic company members who will stand with you yes. and talk about it for half an hour I afterwards. second
1: that guarantee. Yeah.
0: <laughs> They'll probably be me. Yeah. <laughs> be um,
1: but wonderful. Well, um, if you want more resources after this, I post throughout the week on Facebook, uh, Chronicles of Nania, and Twitter and Instagram, uh, probably not as much Instagram for this particular topic. Cause I don't have pictures of kids being bullied because why that would be terrible.
0: That would be very sad. Yeah. I, would not, I would not check out those pictures. So I,
1: I don't have that. <laughs> um, so Facebook, uh, or the website Chronicles of Nannia.com. Uh, wonderful. Well, we end each episode. Episode with uh, a fun story or quote, and Katie has has brought one from her her days when she was a, a babysitter nanny. My,
0: my bygone era of babysitter nannying. Yeah. Uh, I was babysitting this child, um, and he was great. He was one of my favorite kids. I think I've ever had to had the the supreme honor and opportunity to to hang out with. Um, and I was babysitting him, and his parents were going through a divorce. And because of this, he became very um, insecure about emotional relationships and and attachments to not just people, but things. And he he was very young. I think he was six at the time. So he's learning how to process this. He's learning how to create more permanent relationships in his life. And he went through this phase where they'd gotten him at some point, like a police play along costume kit. And uh, it included a pair of handcuffs. Um, and they're supposed to be like dinky little child handcuffs and they're not supposed to be that powerful. And what he would do is he would go around and he would propose to things with these handcuffs, treating them essentially like they were engagement ring or ring. wedding rings. Um, and, and yes, he and I, he and I did get married briefly, briefly because he realized, um, about an hour after he asked me to marry him that I was too old for him. And I was like, that's okay. Good call kid. That's a good call. It wouldn't work out. Yeah. Like we're at different places in our life. Um, but where it got particularly problem su- problematic, let's go with that word problematic, um, was when he decided to marry his swing set, they had this, this swing set that had <laughs> been built in the backyard and they had sunk the poles in like you're supposed to for mm-hmm. safety pretty far into the ground. And, um, he proposed to the swing set and as a very imaginative child, the swing set said yes to him and it was (laughs) lovely. Um, but for some reason, this particular time, instead of just like putting the cuff over his hand and over the swing set, which is what he used to do, he locked his hand and himself to the swing set. So it was this little boy sitting in the grass (laughs) in his backyard, handcuffed to a swing set. Um, which, unfortunately, it turns out these cuffs actually were a little nicer than you find in these kids oh. these uh, kids packets, as we found out, and they actually had a key because you could actually lock them. Oh wow! Which, of course, his mother had told him about when he was, you know, but in his six year old excitement to have all these toys, did not listen to. Mm-mm. Um. So the next thing I know, I have a child who has handcuffed himself <laughs> to a swing set. And no way of getting them off because you, it's not like you have bolt cutters available to you as a babysitter in general. Um, and in my, my brain and I was young at the time too. I think I was in my late teens. Um, I'm thinking I cannot let this mother come home and find her child handcuffed (laughs) to the swing set. What is the solution here? What is the solution? And, um, eventually with the help of his sister, who was, who's a bit older, she was 12. Um, we uh, she and i yanked the pole out of the ground so that he could be free he was still attached to his handcuffs so we had to wait for mom to get home and explain what had happened she thought it was hilarious right um she always took things in stride which was great she was one of those parents that you're like yes i'm so happy yes. i work for this parent um but she took it in stride and, and laughed about it but the he had been handcuffed to his swing set and now had this handcuff dangling on <laughs> that's my probably my best story about that's this kid so who i adore
1: adorable so. and i love the teamwork between you and the older sister you to, know
0: teamwork makes the dream work to even? get that
1: and and problem solving of like how do we solve this and sliding it off the bottom that's such a a good way but you kind of have to think about it differently to get there yeah well done yep. and thank you so much for being here today thank I,
0: thank you for having me this has been so much fun i um, really
1: loved this chat
0: yeah uh if you want to learn more about theater in general or contact me a little more directly uh, you can go to my website which is www.katherinesiegel.com spell um, your last name uh s-i-e-g-e-l mm-hmm. is my last name katherine is spelled with a k yeah also there we go. um so uh www- www.katherinesiegel.com and uh, there's a way there to you know reach out to me directly I'm happy to talk about communication and theater and all that fun stuff um, and also you know you can see what shows are coming up on my end personally um, but definitely come check out Gideon's Knot yes. it's, it's a very exciting show
1: awesome well yeah. thank you so much and thank you all for listening we'll see you next week the Chronicles of Narnia is produced by Martha Reddick and Logan Nielsen. Artwork and logo by Noni Amadon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Narnia and on Twitter at Narnia Podcast. To contact us, email Nania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture.